Karin Julström. I hate to take medication and I don't even take pills for a headache. The doctors I met always wanted to give me anti-inflammatory uh, medication. Mm. They always said that this is the only thing you can have. Pain is some serious business. It ain't everyone who knows what to do about it. Now I hear there's a podcast just about this. It doesn't talk of pain alone, but other interesting things distracting the mind from it. So I suggest you tune in to Outsmart the Pain and listen to what Karsten has to say about it. Get ahead. Get it done. Listen to the podcast and maybe change your life or someone else's. So, welcome everyone. This time we will meet Karin Julström again, my co-author to the book Outsmart the Pain, Överlista Smärtan. First of all, Karin, hi. Tell me, what have you been up to since last time we talked? I have released my third uh, book in the Cozy Crime series, Sebi Holms Gröna Fingrar. That has been quite popular in Sweden. I've been meeting readers and um, celebrating ratings and that it's uh, everything has been quite uh, jolly actually <laughs> to talk about the new book and uh, the reader seems, uh, seems to like it very much so I'm happy I'm also already thinking about uh, the fourth book in the series and I will also write um, a Christmas story takes place in the same surroundings. Wow, that uh, will will there be some someone dead at Christmas then? Well, no, actually not. <laughs> uh, since that will be a shorter novel, I, I think I will work with some art thefts. It's a little bit too much to kill someone in a cozy way in uh, just seventy pages just before Christmas. So <laughs> I will. Uh, I will work with thefts instead. We, we have to have that Christmas spirit, but that's far ahead. You have received some extraordinary reviews that I have seen, but but I am kind of confused. I, I hear words like feel good and like you say, cozy crime stories. How, how can a crime story be feel good or cozy? Uh, just think about Agatha Christie or Midsummer Murders. It's uh, it's not these Nordic noir stories with raped women or punished children. This is more like nice surroundings, lots of focus on relationships between people. Murders are more like someone is uh, getting hit in the head <laughs> and suddenly found dead. <laughs> it's not dead. a splatter thing. <laughs> it's it's not the spectacular murders that you can mm. see in some kind of. Uh, of uh, thrillers or read about um, horror stories or awful stories that makes you feel bad. I just use the murders uh, to get the story um, working. It's like a machine that uh, makes the story go on forward all the time. 
but the most important thing is not who is the murderer, it's uh, all the other things. I've seen a funny sign uh, of Midsummer where it says the population is and then they cross out for every season, I think, that they kind of lower the number of people because if you would see the murder rate in Midsummer, it would be like enormously high. Is that the same in your Sabiholm surroundings that everyone is getting killed over there? Uh, not everyone, <laughs> but uh, if I continue to do this for many years, maybe it will become a problem uh, and uh, so i will probably have to start killing people that is not uh, inhabitants in the in the village yeah tourists uh, it, why not <laughs> yeah <laughs> Kill the tourists. Hmm? I guess the main reason why you're here is because we wrote a book together. Not many uh, crimes in there. But you being the patient and I the doctor. And I do believe this is kind of unique seeing both sides, so to speak, in the same book. Many readers have told me how good it has been to read such a book. What has been your take so far around nine months after its release? Well, people say that it's been like reading uh, their own stories, that they can recognize themselves in the book, because I've interviewed a lot of patients, so they can read both my journey <laughs> about my pain and all the years I had, but also about, I think it's about 10 other patients, so that they feel like they've been seen. Someone has understood how it can be, and they have... Uh, understood that they are not alone. I think that's the most important thing, that they are not alone in this. And many people are having these problems. Also that they have read the book several times, not just one time, but two or three times, because it's so different from uh, other ways of thinking about pain. It's a new way of thinking, and it takes some time to understand that. Well, I actually had a, a colleague who told me that a patient came with the book and wanted to discuss persistent pain starting from the book at the pain specialist meeting. And I was kind of afraid what they would think about that. Like I, I stepped in someone's territory, but it was really just positive from this doctor as well, who, who thanked me and said that, you really wrote a great book that, that is a really good start for someone who is coming to the pain clinic as well. But did it surprise you that so many patients are saying that they are feeling alone and not anymore? No, because that was my feeling also <laughs> before I got help. I felt that I was alone and I didn't even want to talk about my pain, my persistent pain. I didn't even know what it was and I didn't want to uh, bother people with the pain. So I felt alone and therefore I wasn't surprised when everyone I met and interviewed said the same thing. I've been so alone in this. Uh, of course, some of them have uh, spoken a lot about their pain and uh, maybe people around them have got tired about that. But that subject, it, it's, um, it's a boring subject, actually. And maybe you do not want to talk with your friends and family about that. And therefore, you instead go alone and just keep your, all your feelings inside you. So uh, when people have written to me, I have had so many fantastic emails and uh, messages uh, saying that I feel that you've saved my life because suddenly I, I realize I'm not alone. And what very many also points out is that 
you write in the book that the pain is not dangerous. I can try to do more things to exercise a little bit and it's not dangerous. Nothing will um, break or there's nothing wrong with my body. It's just something wrong with my brain. <laughs> Even though you and I think this is of course interesting because we wrote a book and we're talking about it now and there are a lot of researchers that like this and uh, pain clinicians and other people working with pain but like you say to be honest it is a boring mm. subject because people don't <laughs> really want to talk about this do they and maybe that also formed my way of doing lectures because I do a lot of lectures regarding pain and it's for patients and it's for caregivers and all that and I felt from the beginning that I need to make this lecture funny <laughs> or at least very interesting because if you take a boring subject and start talking tables and research and I mean you lost 90% of the audience after five minutes. <laughs> so it, it's so boring you need to be extra funny when you talk about it and a book like this has to be easily read. And I think yeah. uh, a, a lot of people have told me that it's really easy to read it and although it is easy like you say some people read it many times because you always uh, forget things or or remember that oh that's what they wrote uh, but it's, yeah. so it's nice to hear that you have the same experience yeah and um, i have so many people that i met that's they, they bought the book from me and then they come back and say i must give it to some of my friends and they buy two or three more books and then they come back and say, oh, I have an aunt or I have an old lady I know and she must have this book. It's important for me that she also can read this book and learn all these new things that's in it. So uh, I really feel that it, when you start reading it, you get hooked. Mm. That must be quite a new thing with a pain book, <laughs> don't you yeah. think? <laughs> hooked yeah. by pain i still want to talk about my pain with mm. people i uh, drop the subject very quickly mm. i mm. just say that uh, i know it's not dangerous i still have my pain but uh, read the book <laughs> i've noticed that you and i have had some interviews through these months and when people want to talk with you about the pain i think you do a very clever thing you say that you really need to read what I wrote because that's what I have to say uh, because yeah. you don't want to dig into any further because you, I mean you've really told people a lot about yourself when you write about these things in the book so there's no need to know anything else and oh. also uh, if if you don't have a journalist who understands what they're asking questions about it's not a very good interview so i was uh, impressed by your stance in the beginning that read it and then uh, talk about it instead of starting asking me yeah. questions that that was very yeah. clever and and that goes with people too some people really want to talk about this to everyone in the surroundings and some people really don't want to do that and and it's their right isn't it you have to decide yourself what to do with the pain and how much to yeah talk about it yeah in this book we have different chapters i felt we agreed quite early on how to write the book i was surprised it went so well wasn't it yeah. easy <laughs> do you think it was smooth everything yeah. just worked out easy very yeah i think it was quite clear what what the book should be about and what kind of chapters we we should have 
Yeah, and, and we even wrote it during the pandemic, so we had a lot of digital meetings. Uh, I think we only had one physical meeting throughout the whole writing, which I, I understand now was kind of unique for being a, <laughs> being a writer and not yeah. talking, you know, with, with the papers all around you and planning and things like that. One of the most natural things for me to write about was, of course, the chapter about medication. I, I think yeah. it's very important that people with pain get some basic knowledge about possible medication and, and also get to understand when medication does not help or that they get the wrong type. One chapter I did not want to write, or at least did not think it was necessary, was about pill shaming. And, and you actually brought that up. Yeah. Uh, tell me, what is that all about? Uh, well, I think I've, during the years with my persistent pain, I hate to take medication and uh, I don't even take pills for a headache. And... Um, Every time I just felt like I don't even want to talk about it because it, people took it in a very negative way. And I met my uh, fiancé during this period. Actually, when I got to you the first time, the first uh, meeting at your office, he reacted in the same way, actually. That uh, you're having all these medicines, is that really necessary? You're taking sleeping pills to sleep at night because you say you cannot sleep otherwise and you say you, uh, you have all these pain. Is it really necessary? It can't be good for you to have all these uh, substances in your body. I was always feeling like I was a bad person <laughs> because mm. I had all these pills and I still I was in pain. Already from the start, it was a negative thing with all these medication. And then I came to you and you put in some new medication. Uh, and maybe you wanted to say something about what you gave me. I think that my fiancé thought, oh, that's good. But for how long will you take that? When can you stop? Because mm. it can't be good for you to have all these pills in your body. I still have a trouble with that, <laughs> actually. <laughs> I've tried to talk about pill shaming with him. I have to tell him over and over again, maybe I need these pills to work, to be able to exercise, to do what I do, because mm. otherwise I will not sleep and I will not be able to walk. Uh, ah, okay, okay, okay. But, you know, you can't be eating them too long. Mm. Always coming back to that. So pill shaming isn't only your own feeling about not wanting to take medication or f feeling bad about it, but it's other people telling you that you shouldn't because it's bad. Yeah. I got a lot of positive feedback from this particular chapter and, and people who really recognize themselves and feel ashamed of, of taking pills. I have had patients who had migraine and they have told me that their uh, purse is filled with different kinds of migraine medications and they really feel like a, a junkie, you know, walking around with all these pills and they say that if I leave the purse at home, I get migraine just because I left the purse because I get so stressed about not having medication if I get migraine during this meeting or whatever it is. And then, of course, people say, oh, you're dependent on them because you can't even leave your purse. Then you get the migraine. But it's not the same thing being 
physically dependent on a drug or being afraid. I mean, that's human nature to be worried if things don't go your way. And then you have people mm. telling you you're doing bad things. Uh, and that's really tough, I guess. I, I'm not talking about taking morphine or, or let me call it heavy drugs, but just being dependent on taking maybe headache pills almost every day or needing to carry pills wherever you go. Um, yeah. And you are not on, on morphine or any other drugs, uh, since I was allowed to talk about your medication, uh, but any medication which can cause dependency. But do you have any thoughts on, on that particular type of drugs uh, when you hear about morphine being against pain? Is it something that you would like to use if it was possible or do you not want to even be close to it? Well, I've always been quite uh, uh, afraid of um, morphine medication and I didn't even get a very good effect. I just uh, felt sick and uh, threw up and I didn't feel very much better. So for me, it was no alternative and I did not want to to like it either. <laughs> mm. I was quite happy that it didn't help me <laughs> because I could sort that out. But there are other medications that I still eat and I think that I will probably have to eat them for a long time. Since I still have a lot of pain, it would, uh, it would be strange to, to stop eating these pills mm. uh, because I think my pain will get worse. If I finish taking these pills, I don't know. What do you say? <laughs> Actually, you touched on a lot of important points here. And listen to this. In, in my next episode next week called Insights about this episode, I will give you some patient examples and talk about the medication because we do have some people who, for instance, if, if I take the most stigmatized medication, but some p patients who actually are helped by opioids or morphine and which should continue taking them. And I'm not talking about people having cancer, but other people. And then we have patients who really shouldn't take morphine at all. And uh, if you take that as a group, we have patients who are helped in a good way and should continue with it. And we have patients who really shouldn't take it. And on the other side, if I may say so, we have physicians who already made up their mind that no one should have morphine or everyone is allowed to have uh, morphine. It's not a match between those two groups. Because how big luck would it be if someone who shouldn't have morphine meets a doctor who never prescribes morphine or a patient who really needs it never meets a, a doctor who would be comfortable with prescribing it. So you yeah. really need to know when to use the medication. And that is what we have been writing about in the book, that if medication helps. Then we have different types. We have something that goes on the skeletal or muscle or joint pain. And there we have uh, anti-inflammatory drugs and muscle relaxants and maybe paracetamol or acetaminophen and maybe opioids. And then we have the nerve pain where we have completely different medication like the old ones against epilepsy or antidepressants. And for 
persistent pain in itself, we have antidepressants, but they are not against depression, but for pain. So yeah. you really need to know that first. I sometimes say that persistent pain could be your disease, a chronic disease like hypertension or diabetes or, or something like that. And you might need tablets. I wouldn't say for the rest of your life, but for a long time. And sometimes maybe in periods during the cold, at least in Sweden, the cold winter period, many people feel yeah. uh, worse. Maybe they need medication during that time, but they can take a lot less during summer. But then, mm. of course, it's very important that you actually do take less during summer because otherwise it's like my weight. Every Christmas you go up a few pounds <laughs> and you never lose them and you get bigger and bigger. And this could be the same thing. You take a little bit more medication every year and after five years you have too much medication and you still have more pain and you maybe mm. move less. And that's what we're also writing about in the book, that you really need uh, to understand that pain is not uh, dangerous and you need to move. You, even though it hurts, you really need to keep your body going. Uh, so that was kind of a short conclusion of, of the medication. But do you feel like you're, in a way, failed in your pain treatment because you are taking the pills or, or are you happy that you have the pills, your thoughts about that? But to start with, I, I just want to say that uh, before I uh, got to the pain clinic at uh, hospital, uh, the, the doctors I met always wanted to give me anti-inflammatory uh, medication. Mm -hmm. And I told them that I, I cannot eat this because my stomach will not, it just can't take it. Mm. Uh, but this always said that this is the only thing you can have. You can try to have some kind of omeprazole or something at the same time. So uh, maybe your stomach will be okay, but this is the only thing that you can take. And uh, my pain was a little bit better. Every time I took this medication, it was the same again. So it never got really better. And I had lots of trouble with eating these pills. I felt really bad in my body and my stomach didn't work at all. So, mm. so I, I, when I came to you, I also said that I don't think it's worth it to, to be on these anti-inflammatory pills. It doesn't really help me. And I think that when you're not into a pain clinic, this is the, the first thing every doctor will say to you if you come and say, I have pain and it hurts in my legs or in my hips or wherever. Mm -hmm. And that is quite tiring. <laughs> it seems to be the only solution to today's doctors. Anti-inflammatory uh, drugs or? Always. And, um, uh, and uh, very much like an attitude like uh, this is the way it is. This is the only thing we have. This is what we have to give you mm. or, or morphine. And uh, I had never met anyone who said that you can have antidepressive pills against pain before, for example, or that you need something else uh, towards your uh, nerve pain. Mm. So for me, it was quite of an aha moment <laughs> to realize there were other kinds of, of medication. But of course, I feel like it's a little bit of a failure that I am not out of medication today. Mm -hmm. uh, it also sometimes feels like a little bit of a failure that I have pain at all. 
because mm. I thought that if I write this book, <laughs> I will also uh, cure myself because I will be so uh, enlightened and understand so much about this. Mm. But uh, as you said, um, some people get diabetes and I seem to have uh, persistent pain. So mm. I, I need to just uh, to accept that and to try to um, make my life work with the kind of medication that I think that I need. Sometimes it's hard to know, is this the right medication for this moment or this stage in the persistent pain? I also tried actually to reduce some of the medication and I've, I didn't feel good about it, but uh, I, I succeeded mm. and I could take it away. And for me, it's uh, the most important medication for me is the paracetamol. It's that what makes the, the wheels go around in my life mm. because that makes it possible for me to sleep. Yeah. And because it uh, takes away the pain so that I can fall asleep and continue sleeping. And then I wake up when they get out of my body and then I take two more pills and then I fall asleep again until the morning. So I feel very much when these four hours, I think it's four hours that they... Uh, stay in the body and when that time is out I wake up or I start feeling pain again well if there was something I could do you know just snapping my fingers and uh, wishing you being pain-free I, I would really do that but you kind of identify with a lot of people that actually walk around having pain i've heard also that some people who haven't actually read the book but said did she get pain free at the last page if she didn't it's not worth reading <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is kind of strange the other one is you know the the title is outsmart the pain and then it says reprogram your brain or something like that and they say that oh just another book that tells you that it's all in your head uh, and and i usually say that everything is in your head i mean your vision your hearing everything is processed in the brain so it's not strange that pain is in your head at all but i guess these people think that uh, other ones are telling them that, that you're just making this up. And I, I feel so sorry that they didn't even get to starting reading the book. They just read the title and then they go to social media and say, oh, another book that just tells us that it's not for real. And, and you have really done a great deal here, Corin, to uh, make people understand what this is all about. I, uh, your story has been so... Uh, so good so if it's any kind of comfort in your pain is that you're actually uh, doing a, a, a lot of good for a lot of other people out there it's actually hard at the hospital as well because somewhere some people think that you should be able to be pain-free uh, and not all patients can become pain-free just like cancer we, we can't cure cancer for everyone although we're trying to make it better we know that some are not cured and someone's unfortunately die in their cancer you don't die because of pain but still you can have pain at the hospital and sometimes we get referrals where they say that we can't send this patient home because they have pain 
And it's like, uh, but they did have pain before they came to the hospital. Uh, the same as saying that it's all in your head. Uh, of course, we can do a lot of things, but being pain-free is not maybe a, a reasonable solution. I think but it's very good that the book also have, have these uh, chapters about medication and what kind of substances that work in different ways, because uh, lots of other books are just about this. It's all in your head. It doesn't take in the medical part of it. What you, the help you really can get from a doctor that knows how all these different substances work. Uh, the problem, as I felt it, is that there are very few doctors who know about this. They haven't got uh, the knowledge from their education. Uh, they're not really secure in how to treat a person who comes and have persistent pain. Maybe they don't even know what persistent pain is. And of course, they then say, take these anti-inflammatory pills and maybe even some morphine. I feel that the work that you do when you write the chapter about the medication is really important because now the patients can read the book and they can say, hey, I, I read here that antidepressive pills can help towards persistent pain. And maybe the doctor has to read that and <laughs> realize that maybe we can try this. Mm. Uh, and also, as you said, um, this about exercise, uh, what we write about in the book that has been uh, important, in, not the less for me, is uh, you need to expose yourself to things that will give you pain, but gives life value. I have uh, taken back a lot of things that really gives me life quality. I even try to run a little bit in the forest, not very far, just a couple of hundred meters, but I do it because I love it so much. And I know that I will uh, have a lot of pain afterwards, but I do it. And I feel like, ah, hey, I'm <laughs> almost normal. <laughs> and yeah. I even think about uh, starting uh, horseback riding again. And I, I know, okay, I will have a lot of pain. Maybe yeah. I will have to take... Uh, some extra paracetamols um, mm. during that day and that night, but um, I can do it. Yeah, I don't know if I wrote this in the book, but there was this uh, patient I had before, and she had this little uh, house where she kept her garden, Colony Lot, and uh, that was her life uh, during summer. And uh, it ended up actually with her doing her job there from friday to sunday and then she actually lay in bed the whole monday because of pain but due to uh, activities and and medication she could be up from tuesday till friday and then it was the same thing again but that was her way of uh, dealing with the pain so she kind of accepted that one day with pain is what i have to pay uh, to do all the fun stuff friday till sunday so I guess that's some kind of the same thing that you do when you run those couple of hundred yeah. meters or maybe horseback riding that you know what your payment will be, but it's worth it, I guess. Yeah. And I also hope that one day I will not have the pain. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I will not wake up that night and the next day it will feel quite okay. And then maybe I can run some more hundreds of meters and well... So I still have hope that I will get better. <laughs>
Do you know if you have anyone in your close relationship that have pain but didn't actually talk about it, but now they kind of reveal that they have pain? Because you talked in the beginning that you, at least you, and I know a lot of people don't want to talk about it, that it kind of made them open up. My mother has been suffering from persistent pain, but she has talked about it constantly for the last 50 years. So, <laughs> <laughs> so you know about that one. <laughs> <laughs> there was this opera singer that I met when we worked with a book and she hadn't told anyone uh, just her mom and her husband and her kids knew about it but no one on the big opera stages knew about it and she all, always had to find some white lies about why she couldn't have high heels why she couldn't run uh, on stage for example uh, because she didn't want to tell anyone that she had uh, persistent pain. Mm. But since she read the book, she is in the book and she, then she read the book. And I know she also met you. She's now, as she told me, 100% better because she knows it's not dangerous. And um, she knows it's just to expose yourself to, to these things. And also, of course, some medication, but, but a lot of um, mindset, as she told me. Uh, what's the big difference? This was actually one of uh, my guests in uh, previous uh, pod episodes. Episode. Yeah, where I first had an interview with her and then I kind of followed up. And uh, the first time she said that she was, like you said, 100% better and uh, that she had a goal in life that maybe she could run. Do you have any goal, something that you would like to do in the future? that you can't do now because of the pain? Yeah, I would like to be able to go for a run, maybe for half an hour. That would be wonderful. To run so much that I start sweating and come home and been exhausted by running and not have to stop and walk home in pain. Like she said, uh, stop running because of being tired and not stop because of the pain. That was kind of mm. her goal. And then mm. I, I called her again, I guess before Christmas. So I asked her uh, what happened with that goal. The dream is still there, but actually it's not a dream anymore. It, it, it is possible. I, I feel it. I could run, <laughs> but no, I haven't. I'm, I'm really stressed now that I have nothing to blame. Like I cannot blame not being able to run actually now it's just me being lazy not running you're like the rest of so, us now no, you're I, just I not running <laughs> no exactly i just joined the next club and she said well now i'm not running just because i'm lazy <laughs> so that was kind of funny see i i don't know if she got rid of the pain but it was actually so much better and that was actually uh it must be 30 years after she had uh, this beginning of her pain because it started when she was like 15 or 16 due to a tumor. Yes. Things can happen, really. And I saw her on stage wearing high heels and she wow. just pointed when we met afterwards and said, look, I can, I can wear them. I, <laughs> I know it's not dangerous for me. Nothing will uh, get broken. So it's a, I get a little bit of pain, but I know it's not dangerous. Wow. So the, the secret message pointing at the high heels and you instantly yeah. knew what, what that was all about. 
Do you think that there is anything in uh, the book that we kind of should have written about, but we didn't? Like, uh, I, I had a patient who said, when will part two come? And I was like, uh, what, what should be there? I think we wrote it all in, in this book. Do you think that there's anything that we should have written about that we didn't? Or did we cover it all? Not really. Um, there are some things that we could maybe have extended a little bit, uh, like as you said earlier in this conversation about that some patients actually need their morphine to be able to have a life, to work and to live a life, uh, not just be lying in your bed feeling that uh, the life is over. Maybe a little bit more about that, maybe a little bit more about how to exercise, but no. I think it's quite <laughs> complete. <laughs> yeah, because we tried to make a kind of balanced book where it wouldn't be too heavy, so to say, because, uh, I mean, there are a lot of different specific pain conditions. Uh, you know, we have disc hernias and we have fibromyalgia and we have the iledonlos and, and things like that. And, and we kind of agree that, okay, we'll write just a little bit about fibromyalgia. Uh, we have headache, we have uh, back pain, but that's about it for specific uh, places uh, because it's persistent pain. It could be just anywhere. And of course, it's not a fact book about fibromyalgia because no one would have the energy to read such a book. But on the other hand, uh, at least I got some criticism. That chapter wasn't really good because you didn't cover this and this and this. And according to last research, blah, blah, blah. And, and I tried to say, but that was not really my intention. It was, you know, just to bring it up. So someone has read about it. And then there's tons of things to read on the net if you're more interested. But for people who say that you should have written about more about this and this, I would say just like you have said that, we wanted this book to be easy to read and it's better you read it many times and remember the things than it's just being, you know, a fact book that no one gets better from. You just read facts, but you don't get better. And here we actually have even uh, a chapter telling you how you should prepare for your physician's visit and how the physicians should prepare for the patient visit. So it's very practical in a sense. Maybe we could have written something about how to implement this in Swedish healthcare system. But mm. I think that is another book. I mean, that's um, more something that would be on the, uh, the program, the education. Uh, it sounds like you didn't regret that you wrote the book. And we could actually squeeze it in between your cozy crime books. Yeah. If I would like to start uh, reading any of your other books, that's not about this type of pain. Uh, which one should I start with? Bara ett litet mord, just a little murder. Uh, that's the very first uh, book in the cozy crime series. Mm. Maybe since I know that you like uh, funny books, mm. you're a funny person. <laughs> uh, I also wrote a quite hilarious story about a librarian who gets nuts and starting to lie to people, telling them that she's a professor educated in Poland and that she can bring chaos to order and that she offers a lecture about that. So she 
starts a, a tour around Sweden. She leaves her family back home and all the animals on the farm and goes out on tour and hilarious things happen. That's called I, Irene Panik. It's like Irene who panicked. It's like a, a funny... Wow, yeah. Oh, I will read that one. I haven't read it. I and mean, we had two talks so far and we'll see. Maybe we will talk in the future uh, here as well. But it has been such a pleasure to talk about these things. Very important subjects. This time about pill shaming, medication, but some surrounding things. And the next episode next week will be my thoughts about this and some examples on do's and don'ts uh, regarding both pills and pill shaming. Uh, yeah. Anything we didn't cover today that you would like to say? Or do you think we, uh, that we hope that we hope that we soon will be able to launch this book on the an international market because we know that people all around the globe uh, has persistent pain. So we want to help more people. Well, that's true. It, it's the same type of body, the same type of pain and actually the same type of physicians at least and, and maybe pain teams that meet the patients. Since we, I do this in English, like you who followed me know that uh, it was just a coincidence uh, that I started in English because I needed a certain <laughs> software to be able to do this myself and it only recognizes uh, the English language. Now I have the possibility to change to Swedish because things have changed on the technical bit, but I, I have somewhere around 20 to 25% of my listeners who come from non-Swedish speaking countries. It's North and South America, Europe, Asia. And now I feel I, I can't really turn to Swedish because there are some people who want to listen to this outside Sweden and Norway and Denmark and Finland so, uh, and Iceland. Uh, so maybe we have a, a market actually. Uh, so if you're out there, uh, you have to look for our book in the future, hopefully. Yeah. Maybe that could be a promise to the international audience, don't you say, Yeah, Brian? I think so. Excellent. So thank you very much. And now I'll go and fetch that uh, book of yours to read about some funny stories. Okay? Thank you, Kashtan. <laughs>